This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNXRadio.com studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. U.S. gets a fresh start in the battle against COVID. Joe Biden inaugurated today as the 46th president. Pandemic going to be his top and most immediate priority. Mr. Biden takes over as the country passes 400,000 COVID deaths. That's a dark and disturbing number, but there's a lot of hope with the vaccines and new federal leadership that the end of the pandemic is close. We'll get into what the Biden administration plans to do. The most populated county in the country now giving vaccines to those 65 plus. It comes as the hospitals are still way too crowded. Let's begin with the new administration, the Biden administration, and how it plans to beat COVID. Dr. David Aronoff is the director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at the Vanderbilt University Medical Center. Doctor, are you more hopeful now? I am hopeful. I, I think there, we're seeing more formal plans for being able to get vaccines to people who need it the most. I, there's already been about 14 or 15 million vaccines delivered. So maybe to get to 100 million, we only have another 85 million to go, for example. Okay, but uh, that that said, uh, we still are having an awfully hard time. I mean, I know people in Florida, they can't get through on the phones. The website crashes. We had similar things. We're having similar things now in uh, uh, Los Angeles County. Uh, there's almost no place in America where you don't hear really bad stories about how people are trying desperately to get vaccines and they're meeting all kinds of resistance. It doesn't sound like something that could be fixed in a short amount of time. I completely agree. I think uh, we are seeing what's going to likely require a lot of front end effort quickly. And hopefully once systems are in place and production of vaccine is meeting demand, we'll start to coast downhill a bit. But you're exactly right. We've got some uphill climbing to get out of the hole we're in and to meet the demand, both from a a supply part, but also from just getting the infrastructure in place to give people vaccines. What can the federal government do? Because there was arguments about this all the way through, and the Trump administration approach was, you know, we can't do much. It's really up to the states. We're going to give you as much help as we can, but it's up to you guys and you guys aren't doing a good job. But then the states have said, we felt that absence. There are things that can be done and you guys weren't there for us. So so which is it? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of ways the federal government can help. First of all, to help harmonize policies. There's no reason why it should logistically be hard to get somebody a vaccine in Florida Uh, but say be much easier in another state or penalizing people for living in one state versus another. So having a harmonized approach to how we prioritize and get vaccines from central distribution points or storage points into people's arms really requires federal input. The other thing is that we have federal emergency management teams like FEMA that are designed to help handle crises. We have the National Guard. We have mechanisms in place to be able to handle federal challenges like this. And of course, we have the CDC and the FDA and others. And I think what it really requires is a lot of work to align and figure out where can we put up tents? Where can we use existing football stadiums or sports arenas? And who's going to oversee the distribution in an equitable way? But leaving it up to each individual state to try to reinvent the wheel really ends up putting some people in a disadvantage 
in a way that's that's not equitable uh, and is preventable. How much are you concerned, if at all, that just as hopefully we'll get the vaccines in, in, in sort of full swing and people will be able to more readily get them, that one or more of these variants that keep popping up of the coronavirus is going to end up defeating the vaccines? Well, I think we need to just keep our eye on that while we're trying to get people immunized. So far, we don't have any information that says that the circulating variants of this virus are outwitting our vaccine. And what that means to me is that we need to continue to do the things that we know work to stop transmission. Social distancing is more important now than it has been at any point in this pandemic. We need to wear our masks when we go out in public. They help a lot. And we need to keep our hands clean. We need to do the things that we know help. But at the same time, we cannot wait to get vaccines into people's arms. And if it turns out that a variant of the virus starts to escape our immune system, uh, hopefully we'll be in a position to, to have new vaccines developed and come out to handle those. But right now, that's not a problem. And we need to deal with the problem that's really in front of us. And that's protecting people through public health measures and immunization. Dr. David Arnoff directs the Division of Infectious Diseases at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. Coming up after this short break, can the country's most populated county figure out how to vaccinate senior citizens quickly and efficiently? Los Angeles County has more people than any county in the country, so getting about 10 million people vaccinated will prove difficult and time-consuming. Healthcare workers have been getting vaccinated, and now so are people 65 and older. This comes as the hospitals are still too crowded, patients fighting for their lives. There's hope, but it's not a good situation at the moment. With us is Dr. Nicole Van Groningen, internal medicine specialist at Cedar sinai Medical Center in L.A. She's been volunteering in the COVID ICU. Doctor, are things improving at the hospitals at least a little bit? Are we getting better at treating people with the virus? You know, it's a really good question. I hate to use the word grim. Um, it's kind of crisis mode, I guess, if, if you could equate the two. But yeah, things are a lot worse than they were six months ago. Things are a lot worse than they were when this first started. Uh, on the one hand, we do know a lot more about how to treat COVID, what's effective in terms of medications or, or other therapies that we can provide. We have a vaccine coming down the line. But on the other hand, we are just dealing with way more more patient volumes than we ever saw during the spring or summer or even for most of the fall. And it's really the numbers that's driving why things are so bad and why they are the way they are right now. And there's so many factors going into this. One is you know, pandemic fatigue. One is the holidays and all the gatherings uh, that we had with that. And another one is possibly even this new LA strain that we've identified in, you know, late December, early January. And so multiple factors are, are leading to this, but really it's the volumes of patients that we're seeing that is just so challenging right now. So we asked this next question because there aren't a whole lot of cameras around all the time. The numbers are hard to grasp because they're giant numbers and you can't always fit your head around them other than to go, wow, that sounds terrible. But the COVID ICU, when you're there, what is it like? You know, I wish that we had a better way to show people what COVID actually looks like for these people that get critically ill. 
it is just a miserable disease. You know, most of the time I'm working on the general medicine floors and still the patients there are very, very sick. And so I see up close and personal every day what COVID looks like. And even for the people that aren't on the brink of death or needing a ventilator, still look absolutely miserable. People will say it's worse than the, ever, the, the worst flu that I've ever had. And when you actually see people in the ICU who are critically ill, who are on ventilators for weeks at a time because people don't recover quickly from this disease at all, it is just miserable and gut-wrenching. And to add the extra layer of families not even being able to visit, you know, we're allowing only visitors to come in for very short periods of time. If in, in certain situations, if people are very ill or if people are nearing the end of their lives. So for the vast majority of these patients, they're critically ill and they can't have their families around. And it's just a heartbreaking thing to see. And especially at a time when we've been going through this for months and we all need to be taking it really seriously, even though we're sick of it, you know, maybe it would help to, to kind of bring that picture alive a little bit more in any way that we can. Uh, on, on an individual patient basis, though, are, are you seeing more uh, successful outcomes than before? That's a good question. You know, I think that we haven't done those studies yet to see if, you know, now that we instituted more broadly giving people certain treatments, for example, has the rate of of death gone down? You know, anecdotally, I would say that the at least one of the treatments that we use frequently, Decadron, does seem to make a difference. Um, and so, you know, viewing this glass half full sort of perspective, I would say that I, I am seeing a difference and we're just more comfortable with treating COVID. So I do see that we're able to help people a little bit more. But the important thing to keep in mind is there is no cure. You know, we have treatments, we have some things that may help certain people, but for others may not do anything. It's not like antibiotics for a bacterial infection, in which in most, if not all cases, is effective. This is a very different disease. We don't have cures. We, had, we just have treatments that probably do help some people, but not all. So it still is, is pretty tough. Frustrating, sad, I don't know what the adjective is, but it's like we're so close because there are vaccines, we have to wait. That's frustrating, too. The rollout has been uh, not great, to put it lightly. But every day is still like this. You're hoping for some kind of downturn, but you know that we're close, but people are still coming in those doors. It's sort of like a race, you know. We're trying to ramp up our vaccine efforts as much as physically possible, but it just doesn't seem to be keeping pace with the rate that the virus is still tearing through our communities. And so you're right, there has been criticism of LA counties and you know multiple counties actually rollout of the vaccine that it hasn't been fast enough. I will commend what they're doing now in terms of opening up these new sites for vaccinations and trying to put the logistics in place to vaccinate as many people as possible. But the supply of the vaccine is going to be limited. The logistics, you know, the people who are actually going to be putting the vaccine in people's arms are, are finite as well. And so it's going to take some time. It's going to take months before we reach a point where, you know, the majority of our population is vaccinated and potentially even longer than months. How do you get through your own week? That's a really good question. <laughs> I focus on a lot of self-care because I think... 
for a lot of healthcare workers, this is really, really challenging. You know, we're used to seeing death and dying and suffering. That is part of the job. But this is just like nothing that any of us have ever seen. And so I think all of us are having a tough time. All of us are are working more physically hours in the hospital than we're used to. Um, And so it's been tough. I think that we see the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, We take care of ourselves, but we kind of the bottom line is we kind of just got to roll up our sleeves and do the work. Um, and that's what we're here to do. And that's what we're proud to do. You know, I, I think this is why a lot of us went into healthcare to be able to do this kind of work. Uh, so in some sense, it does bring a lot of, of gratitude and satisfaction to our jobs and that helps certainly. Uh, but it doesn't always make it easy. That's for sure. Well, doctor, we thank you for the work that you're doing. Dr. Nicole Van Groningen, internal medicine at Cedars-Sinai. The pandemic has made it hard for singles to date in person, but when people want to find love or maybe just casual interaction, they find different ways to meet up. Dating apps have grown in popularity. Tinder, Bumble, and Coffee Meets Bagel have seen user engagement soar over the past year. A couple of the apps say people are video chatting more now, too. Tinder reported a record three billion swipes in just one day. It says it's the highest grossing non-gaming app in the world. It used to be like, you know, height or vacation photos you were looking for. Now it's probably COVID vaccinated is the thing that everyone's going to look for on your your page. I, I have a question. Yes. So when we say that when people want to find love or maybe just casual interaction, is that a euphemism? Uh, this is a, a rated G show, so we're not going to get into that. Okay. Find us on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay.